What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Benitez. And man, what an awesome, awesome episode it's going to be. I want to welcome everyone from Warsaw to Ibiza to Polanco, Mexico. Welcome all of my people, my beautiful family. It's going to be an awesome episode. Today, I want to get into one of probably the best questions you can ever have. This question will literally begin to open. It's like a key into a treasure room. So this one question will really begin to challenge the way you think. And more so, you'll begin to understand the reason for the law. What's that question? Drum roll, please. The question is, what is the purpose of the law? What's the law's objective? Why did the law have to come in? If the law is perfect, which I always say it is because that's the truth, then what's the purpose of it? Because we have to realize that the law wasn't created by the devil. The law was created by God. So what's the purpose for the law? Now, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Romans, and I want to start with Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And I really want you guys, because I'm going to quote a lot from Romans. I'm not necessarily going to take the time to um, look up every scripture because I, I want to really keep these episodes very concise. But as I quote these scriptures, I want you to jot them down. I want you to Google them. I mean, Google is such an awesome tool to use. You can literally just Google keywords from scriptures and you can look it up. It's amazing. So Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says this. This is, this is amazing. Thereby or therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, by your own effort, by your own trying, by your own works, you shall never be justified in the eyes of God. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now listen to this. Remember, we're tackling the question, what's the purpose for the law? The Bible says, for by the law, is the knowledge of sin. In other words, the law is to be sin conscious. What does the word conscious mean? We, we, we've studied about this multiple times. What does the word conscious mean? To be conscious of something. Like for right now, I'm conscious. I'm looking at the book shelf right in front of me. And I have wonderful books of Joseph Prince. Shout out, Ethan. So I'm conscious of the books right now. What does that mean? That means I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm aware of the book shelf in front of me. I have knowledge that the bookshelf is in front of me. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at it. I'm considering it, um, giving it attention. That is what it means to be conscious of something, to be aware of something. There's a difference between conscience, the way that it's spelled, conscience. That is your conscious. That mean, That is your intuition between good and evil, so to speak. But conscious, like consciousness, the human consciousness. What is the human consciousness? The human consciousness is the awareness of yourself, of, of someone. In other words, to be aware of something. Like I mentioned, right now I'm looking at the bookshelf. Right now I'm giving attention. I have attention. I have awareness of the bookshelf. I'm conscious of the Joseph Prince books that I have in front of me. I'm aware of it. I have knowledge of it. I'm looking at it. I'm giving it attention. That is what it means to be conscious of something. So to be conscious of sin is to be aware of sin, to have knowledge of sin. Remember, the tree in the, gar in the Garden of Eden, the two trees, one was called what? 
the tree of life. What's the other one called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's sin consciousness, in other words. The law is sin consciousness. We just read it. For by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. To be aware of sin. To have knowledge of sin. To consider sin. To pay attention to sin is the law. To know about sin. To ask, is this sin? Is that sin? That is the law. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which will kill you. Where is that in the scriptures, Anthony? In the epistle, the same epistle of Romans, the Bible says that the law works wrath. The wrath that you saw come upon Mount Sinai, when the, in, this is found in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the wrath that you saw in Mount Sinai, the thunders, the lightnings, the voices, the fire that came down from heaven, and yet it was so dark to the point where the children of Israel could not take it, that they begged Moses to go talk to God. And Moses, whom the Bible says was the meekest man on earth, said in himself, I am very fearful and I am trembling. The law will bring you, and this is where I get, this is where I, I received the understanding from the Lord that the law is anxiety. To be fearful, to be anxious, to be in uh, inner turmoil within, that's the law. Moses, when he looked at Mount Sinai, found in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says that he was shaking, he was trembling, he was exceedingly fearful. That's, that's anxiety, that's panic, that's turmoil within. Why? Because he was looking at Mount Sinai, which is a type of the law. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that the law is the knowledge of sin, to be aware of sin, to consider sin, to pay attention to sin, to pay attention to sickness, to pay attention to any type of... Check this out. I told you I'm going to quote a lot of scripture, so just absorb it. Romans 14 says this, because we think of sin, we th when I say sin, a lot of people just think sex. They just think, you know, pornography. They just think adultery. They think smoking weed. They think, you know, nightclubs and, and debauchery, which it is. But realize this greater truth. Romans 14, the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Whatever is not of faith is sin which produces debauchery, adultery, fornication, all these things. But the main element of sin is unbelief. Because the Bible says in Romans 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. And you can't have faith partaking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because the Bible says in Romans, the law, or in Galatians, I should say, the law is not of faith. So if the Bible, listen to this. Romans 14, the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And then the Bible says, and the law is not of faith. So when we're under internal dogmatic rules within us, we're under the law. And we're not in faith. And the Bible says, the righteous shall live by what? The righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm going to press the envelope a little bit more. You ready? So... The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. We understand 2 Corinthians, right? The Bible says he that Jesus was made sin so that you and I would become the, the righteousness of God in Christ. So we are righteous. And the way that we walk, like a fish lives in water, the righteous, you and I, in Christ, we live by faith. We walk by faith. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, for we walk by what? 
by faith and not by experience, not by our senses, not by our feelings. That's sight. So there is a very, very stark contrast in Galatians. The Bible says this, that those who are of the works of the law are under the curse. And in the contrast to that statement, the Bible says, but those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So on one side of the coin, you have in Galatians, the Bible says that those who are of the works, those who are of their own effort within their heart, subconsciously, they trust within themselves. Subconsciously, they trust their effort. Subconsciously, they think there's something good within us as a Christian. I'm talking about Christians now. That is the works of the law. When we try, when we look to ourselves, when we become so introspective, when we feel tense, anxious, when we begin to put stress and a demand within in ourselves. Do you want to know why we get stressful when we put a demand within ourselves? Because we are spiritually bankrupt in ourselves. So when we put a demand on ourselves, what can a spiritually bankrupt man have to offer? The answer is nothing. That is why Jesus said, rest in me. Because without me, you can do absolutely nothing, emphatically nothing. So on one side of the coin, you have the, them that are of the works of the law are under the curse. On the other side, you have, but those who are of faith are blessed with believing, not with working, not with striving, not with trying Abraham, but with believing Abraham. So you have two sides you have two sides of the coins here in Christianity. Those that are of the works of the law are under the curse. And those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So these are two different coins here. And the Bible says the law is not of faith. So why am I saying all this? I, I just jammed a lot into your 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 your, your heart right now, but just let the seed soak in. So in the midst of all this, what's the point then? What's the purpose of the law, friend? Because if the law is not of faith, and the Bible says, if the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, and we understand that the Bible says the law is not of faith, and the Bible says, for the righteous shall live by faith. That means the righteous do not live by the law. If you live by the law, you will die. Because the Bible says that the law works wrath. And I'm sorry to quote so much Bible, but not really. But the Bible says this, that the law comes in so that sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Furthermore, it says, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So, What's the answer to this? What, what, so if the law is not of faith, if the law is meant to make sin exceedingly sinful within you, that's a scripture. If the law is, is made to condemn you, if the law is made to bring wrath and death upon your life, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It calls the commandments that were written, and I'm quoting, written and engraven on stones in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The ministry of condemnation. So what's the purpose of the law of God? Are we meant, Are we supposed to keep the law of God? Absolutely not. Because we just read, the Bible says the law is not of faith. Are you righteous, Christian, believer, listener, you, friend? Are you righteous? Yes, I'm righteous in Christ, Anthony. Perfect. The righteous shall live by faith. Okay, I agree with that, Anthony. Perfect. The Bible says the law is not of faith. 
If you live by the works of the law, Galatians says you are cursed. However, those that are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. What's the purpose of the law then? The Bible explains this beautifully in Galatians chapter 3 and 4, that the law is meant to bring you to your knees. So the law is the knowledge of sin. The law comes in, the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, so that sin will become very alive and exceedingly sinful in your life, even as a Christian. If you put yourself under any type of dogmatic rule, for instance, I was talking to I was talking to someone earlier today and they were telling me how someone at work was, um, uh, they were like, I, I guess they drink so many like uh, Coca-Colas or whatever it is. And they, they were like, you know, I really need to stop. <laughs> I really need to stop drinking, you know, five cans of soda every two hours or whatever, something like that. And then uh, she was telling me, well, what happened, Anthony? The next moment I see him with three cans of soda. And it backfired on him. So what what is that? You know, we see this in the Old Testament. We see this when, when the children of Israel in the Old Testament boasted and they said, you know, we can keep every single law of God. The Bible says that the children of Israel boasted within themselves and, and they said we can keep, they told Moses, we can surely keep every commandment of God, every, every single tittle, every single jot, uh, every single dot and tittle we can definitely keep every single commandment of god and the and the bible says the lord get, then gave them the commandments and the first two commandments number one was says do not worship any other god number two says do not worship any graven image the minute that they said that we can do this the opposite happened <laughs> then you see them worshiping a golden calf bowing down you know it takes time to get the earrings from the woman to get the gold bars to make a mold of a cow and then not only that but then begin to kneel down and worship a cow it takes time to do that why because the bible says as a christian i'm not talking about sinners i'm talking about you and i first peter said if the righteous are scarcely saved how much more the ungodly and the sinner as a, as a christian there's nothing good within you well, Anthony, I thought I have Jesus in me. I'm talking about you in yourself, in yourself, in your own flesh, in your own effort, in your own uh, self-ability. There lies no good thing. In your own, in your own self-ability, in your own flesh, you cannot, even, you cannot even believe God. Where is that in the Bible, Anthony? Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, For the natural mind, the carnal mind, is an enemy against God. It is not subject to the law of God. And then a startling statement to emphasize it, the Bible says, and it, it will never, ever be subject. It cannot be subject to the law of God. In other words, it's an impossibility that the natural mind ever submit to the law of God. It's an it's a, it's a utter impossibility. So in yourself, you don't even have faith. You have no faith. You, you are spiritually bankrupt outside of Christ. So... This is all about your consciousness. Who and what are you placing a demand upon? Because if you put a demand upon yourself in your flesh, the Bible says, Jesus said the flesh profits nothing. If you put a demand upon yourself, if you put a demand upon your effort, your, your striving, you trying, my friend, you will 
be humbled down because the law will not only stop, but it will make sin exceedingly sinful in your life. Whenever we put a demand upon ourselves, if you feel stressed, you're putting a demand upon yourself. If you feel tense, fearful, like Moses said, he was fearful. He was shaking in his boots. He was trembling. He And the Bible says the children of Israel were so afraid, sore afraid that they couldn't even bear the voices that were coming out. Any type of internal turmoil, that is a sign that you're placing a demand not upon Christ. You're placing a demand upon yourself. You are looking to yourself. And I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, that as a Christian, there is nothing good within you outside of Christ. In your flesh dwells no good thing. Romans chapter 7. If you begin to boast in your ability to have faith, this is that's what Peter said. Peter said, Lord, I will go with you to the grave. And then the opposite happened. That's what the law does. The Bible literally, you, you like the Bible? Yes, Anthony, I like the Bible actually read it a lot that's great the bible says that sin that the law comes in and sin becomes very exceedingly sinful any type of dogmatic demand you place within yourself it will backfire on you you and this is what's going to happen is that we don't believe that we do not believe that we think that we we have some sort of strength and capability to even believe god and to be in, an obedient servant of god you know when i first got saved it, it's very, you know, the flesh is very religious. It's very easy to be religious because the minute that I got saved, and this is probably you as well, you just want to serve God. You just want to do something. You want to go and evangelize the streets. You want to go and feed the poor. You want to do all these things. You see, that's the flesh. The flesh always, like Peter, Peter is a type of the flesh. The flesh always boasts about their ability. I will follow you to the end of the world. I will follow you to the grave, Jesus. I will never leave your sight. And then the Bible says, Jesus said, Peter, you say that you because you said that or he, he didn't say because you said that, but because he said that the Bible says, Jesus said that now you will deny me three times until the rooster crows. And the Bible says that Peter not only denied him, but he denied him with swearing and profanity. You say you say I will not commit adultery and you start to have trust within your own flesh. You start to have trust because you're as 5, 7, 10, 15, 20 year Christian. I'm, I'm sorry, but you are, the Bible says, before a fall is a haughty spirit. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted in due season. So this is, this is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show man its utter depravity and corruptness. Yes, to the sinner, but even the law comes in as a Christian to humble you down. Because Christians are, are probably one of, and I'm a Christian, so just relax, but Christians are probably one of the most uh, prideful people that I've met. Anthony, I'm very offended. That's okay. I'm not here to offend or not offend. I'm just here to speak the truth. Christians are one of the most prideful people that I've met. And I, and I was one of them, and I'm sure there's still some pride within me that the Lord is pruning me out, so I'm not immune to it. I understand but even looking back, man, I, I could humbly say, man, I was so prideful. And again, there's, there's still probably areas I'd be foolish to be like, you know, what, I'm completely exempt from pride. No, there's still areas within my own life that I'm sure there's lots of pride that the Lord is still pruning and will continue to prune me. 
and I and I just receive it because I understand that he is doing it for because he loves me because he wants to help me and deliver me and bless me and heal me so I'm not immune to that but I, I but listen to what I'm saying Christians are one of the most prideful creatures creatures I've ever met because we become we, you know we, we we say stuff like you know I got saved even saying I got saved denotes capability of yourself to come to the Lord but the reality is that the Bible says no one can come to God the Father except God draws him. You're, you getting saved is not, it's not rather I got saved, it's rather Jesus saved you. You see, there's, there's a very subtle difference in verbiage, but it's, it's very intentional and it's heartfelt and sincere if you know the difference. It's not I got saved, it's Jesus saved me. That's why I corrected myself in one of the podcasts because I, I said, well, when I got saved, when I, when I got saved, really, I was so smart that I came to Jesus. Absolutely not. Same thing with you. So it's, the Bible says that no one can come to Jesus except the father draws him. So it is by grace that we are saved. And the same exact way that we're saved, we are to walk in him every single day. Colossians. So we don't elect to get saved. We are saved by grace. It is the Father who has drawn us, who has handpicked us before the foundation of the world. And when you realize that, that takes a lot of the pride out of many Christians. Because many Christians, the minute that we get saved, we start to look down upon other people. We start to look down upon other people. We start to look down upon other Christians. We start to look down upon everybody. But... I want to ask you this question, and I posed this question to one of my leaders, Ethan. I said, I said, bro, do you realize that Paul, and I want to bring this up to you, do you realize that Paul grew up getting groomed to be the next pope, the next high priest? He was, he was getting groomed at the age of 12. I mean, this man was an, uh, a very eloquent speaker, very knowledgeable. The Bible even says in Philippians that according to the law, he was blameless. That he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. That he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, he was blameless. According to uh, persecuting the church, he was very zealous. That he, There was no man that was more religious, straight edge, clean cut, a virgin probably, never touched drugs. None of this stuff. Never probably cussed. But Paul. But why? What did, or rather, what did Paul see within himself to the point that it was recorded recorded in holy scriptures that he himself called himself a wretched man what did paul see within himself now understanding his upbringing understanding that he was you know very clean cut never touched drugs never cussed never slept with the women never went to prostitutes that was according to the law he was blameless he was getting groomed by one of the top teachers of the one of the top rabbis of the time in Israel, he was the man when it comes to religion of religion. He was a PhD. He was very, he, he was like, you know, Socrates of, of the Jewish nation. And yet, or only pure, because I mean, he never, you know, that's another teaching. But my point is this, what did Paul see within himself that even with all that, that he talked about in Philippians chapter 2. Even with all, the, all those accolades according to the flesh. He, he called himself a wretched man. And it was, recorded in, it was recorded in Holy Scriptures. He called himself a chief sinner. He called himself the least of all the apostles. Then he called himself the least of all the saints. 
Really? Because to the natural mind, this man is probably like, according to men's and societal standards, top notch. But yet, he wasn't just saying this out of modesty because the scriptures would not record anything of falsehood. The Bible says that he called himself a wretched man. He called himself a chief sinner. He called himself the least of all the apostles. Then he called himself the least of all the saints. He called himself a chief sinner. I mean, that, that's, that's baffling. Question, what did he see within himself? You want to know why? Why he, he was so humble and, and these words were recorded in canonized holy scriptures? was because he was so familiar with the law. Because when you're so familiar with the law, when you're so sensitive to sin, when you have so much knowledge of good and evil, you will be condemned. And the law will humble you down because the law will expose every single flaw. Humanity, even as Christians, there is no good within us. That is why the Bible says we live by the faith of Jesus. We don't even have faith within, our, within ourselves. We can't do anything. And that is why grace is super important because when we realize that the minute that we begin to exert effort, we're, we're mixing tainted, corrupted humanity within our own efforts. And tainted, corrupted humanity breeds only tainted and corruption and death. That is why the scriptures say in Galatians chapter 6, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. As a Christian, you have no capability. You have no ability. In fact, the more that you come under the law, the more you, that you work after the flesh and the more that you try, you as a Christian are just as capable to commit any sin, any grievous sin than any other ungodly sinner whom you would you know, call an ungodly sinner. You are just as capable because there's nothing good within you. And the law has come. It's from God. It's perfect. It's holy. It's blameless. But the law is the knowledge of sin. The law comes so that sin will become exceedingly sinful. Why? So that we will realize that we need a Savior. Not only to get saved from damnation, but get saved even on a daily basis. I'm not talking about every single day you're getting you know, salvation, 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 salvation. No, I'm talking. the word saved means sozo. Healed, delivered, blessed, made whole, shalom prospered all these things so understand that the law what is the purpose of the law the purpose of the law is to expose your brokenness why is that important we see this in a in, in a type and shadow in the story of Gideon when he was going against the Midianites the Bible says that he took with him and his soldiers a candle and the candle was covered with a jar the type here is the jar is your flesh. The candle is, the Bible says in Colossians, the great mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And notice what did Gideon do to destroy the Midianites? The Bible says that he broke the jar into pieces so that the light will shine forth. There's a scripture that sounds very similar to this. Second Corinthians, the Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels in the same exact manner that the jar must be broken in order for the light to come forth. You in of itself, you, you, you must now see if you can receive this. Your will must be broken in order for the light to fully manifest. You must come to the end of yourself. You must realize that in yourself as a Christian, you have no capability, you have no ability of good as a Christian in yourself. 
It's only when we get out of the way that Christ takes over. And if we rest in him, we bear, we bring forth much fruit. So the law is to expose and to break our will. Is to expose how much depravity and corruptness there is even in us as Christians. The Bible says in Romans that it is God who makes righteous and declares righteous the ungodly. So when we realize this is the purpose of the law, the law is there to expose how broken we are. What's the positive in this? Because as humans, we're so strongly willed. We want to do something. We still think subconsciously we're able to do something. And I'm even, I'm preaching to myself. I am not exempt from this. If anything, <laughs> I suffer probably a lot more. And the Lord teaches me and I just share with you what, the, what I'm experiencing according to the scriptures. The Bible says, Paul said, it is my suffering, but it is your glory. So the law comes in to expose our brokenness. But only by death does, light man, does life manifest. Only by our will being broken will we allow to Jesus to, for him to fully control our life. And that's when our life becomes very fruitful. Because when we put our hands in the mix, when we, like Abraham, begin to mix with the law, which is Hagar, out comes an Ishmael. Out comes works. And the works will always be cursed. The works of the flesh are these. Hatred, strife, envy, jealousy, adultery, fornication, witchcraft, sedition, bitterness, and any other thing. And which I tell you, and I tell you again, them that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, there you go, Anthony. You see, if you sin, your salvation is gone. This, that's not what it's saying. What that is saying is that if we continuously live after the flesh, how can we receive the fruit of the Spirit, which is the kingdom of God, if we walk after the flesh? We can't. So obviously, if you're continuously very bitter and angry, you're not going to walk in joy and peace and prosperity and wholeness and shalom. It's not you are you know, destined for damnation, but rather it's, we're talking about inheritance here. We're talking about what you experience on earth. We're talking about you living uh, as heaven on earth type of days. That is what that is talking about. So the law comes in to expose us. And I'm telling you, friend, we need to be exposed. We need to be broken. Our will needs to be broken. You know how a horse gets domesticated? A wild horse. And the Bible says that we were in Romans chapter 11, that we were cut from the wild olive tree. You know how a wild horse gets domesticated? It gets broken. It must be broken to be domesticated. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. But he was bruised for our, iniquity, our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace. For the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So, like a wild horse, the will must be broken. And religion, I said this to my team earlier today, religion is a greater bondage than even drug addiction. 
because it's so subtle. And there's so much pride in it. And God will always resist the prideful. So you can say God always res resists the religious. Because to be religious is to be self-righteous. To be self-righteous is to be full of pride. To be self-righteous is to look to yourself to get it done. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. In me dwells, you know, good stuff, Anthony. I can have faith. I can do this. I, 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 I. No, no, no. In you dwells no good thing. But we don't believe that. So then oftentimes we put ourselves back under the law. And then we, we, we end up falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. Literally, this has happened to me many times where I literally sat down, baffled. And I was like, wow. I, 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 have, I, I was literally crying the other day. I was talking to my wife. I'm just being honest here. And I was like, you know, I, in me, because people, you know, I, I, and this is all the work of, of Christ, you know, pe people look to me as, as a leader and um, rightfully so, but I, I don't see myself that way. I see myself as a broken child who needs Jesus every freaking waking moment. I, I don't see myself like that. And that, as a leader, though you're in the fivefold ministry, when you come to the Lord and when you come to your father, you don't come to him as a great apostle. You come to him as a child. So when I see myself, you know, I, I just unconsciously lead people. But the majority of my walk and the majority of the way that I help people, honestly, is is because the Lord has been walking me through certain things. And I just share with you, I cannot I cannot hide the truth from you. And. I've realized that within myself, there's nothing good within me. I have no ability to believe God. Like I said, the other day, I was trying my hardest and it wasn't anything crazy sinful. So just relax. But I was trying my hardest to like, it was like this little OCD thing that I really hate. And I kept trying to stop it, but I kept doing it. And the more I tried to stop this little OCD frantic stuff, the more it, it stronger it got. And I kid you not, I'm just being honest today. I was thinking about and obsessing about this OCD thing for about 36 hours. And uh, I literally came to my knees and I was like, I, I, I can't. And the only way that I was I ever got delivered out of that, that the Lord delivered me out of that was when I did nothing. But it was one of the hardest transitions to go from trying to do something because, you know, within our human nature, within our own natural tendencies, we have a fight and flight mode within us. So the minute that we sense fear or anxiety, your natural senses are like, what's up? We need to do something. What's going down? What do we have to do to escape this? That's the natural tendency. So so and then the minute that we react to that and we give into that, the deeper the fear and the anxiety gets. And the deeper the fear and the anxiety gets, the worse it becomes. And the worse it becomes, the more we try to fight our way out of it. And the more we try to fight our way out of it, the deeper it is. And the deeper it is, the more we try to fight. But the more we try to fight, the deeper the hole gets. Until we see ourselves at the bottom of the pit and we say, wow, 
in me dwells no good thing. I can't, de I can't deliver myself. I can't heal myself. I can't get out of this. I can't stop this thing. I am, I am but a natural man sold under sin. Sin is spiritual. I can't, who am I to even overcome unbelief? Unbelief is a spiritual force. I am a natural man. Who am I? And that is why we look to Jesus to save us, to deliver us, to heal us every single day, to live through us. When we rest, it is Christ within us that flows. And, and like a river, he takes care of everything. And we unconsciously just enjoy the benefits. So the law comes in to break our will. And it's honestly, it's needed. It, it's much needed. Because it's like a... I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it it's in it's needed for us to really be fully persuaded and convinced that we that in us dwells no good thing. I'm fully persuaded by that, because as a Christian, we have so much pride within us, and there's nothing to be condemned about. But realize the minute. See, look, and I'm gonna end with this. In the book of Leviticus, there was three offerings. And they were broken down to three different classes of people. The higher class, the rich people, their offering when they sinned, it was a bullock, a full-grown male bull, yoked, strong. And they would bring that as their offering. Someone in the middle class would bring a lamb. It was cheaper. But then the, the last, the lower class, they would bring two turtle doves. So here we see the three different classes that, that we see in the book of Leviticus. We see the lower class bringing two turtle doves as their sacrifice. We see the middle class bringing a lamb as their sacrifice. And yet we see the rich, the wealthy, bring a bullock as their sacrifice. So what is, this, what is all this a type of? The poor have a small understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus. The middle class, spiritually, have a lamb-sized understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus. And the rich in spirit, the spiritually rich, have a bullock size of understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, in these three sacrifices, only the higher class, the wealthy class, the bullock, only they would put their hands on the bullock to identify with the bullock. The middle class and the lower class would not lay their hands on the two turtle doves or on the lamb to identify, which tells us that the more rich you get spiritually, how do you get rich spiritually? The Bible says in 1 Peter, how does one grow in grace and in peace? The Bible says it is only through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the, the way that you can tell that you are maturing in the Lord is when you speak with someone and all they can talk about is Jesus and his love for us, not our love for them, not I conquered death, but he conquered death for me. So when we realize these certain types in the book of Leviticus, when we realize that the, that the poor in spirit only have a turtle dove 
understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus. When we realize that the middle class in spirit have a lamb-sized understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus. And then finally, when we see those who are rich in spirit, those who are spiritually rich have a bullock-sized understanding of Jesus to the point where they lay their hands on the bullock to identify themselves with the sacrifice. You see yourself in Christ, dead with Christ, risen with Christ, ascended with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places next to your Father. You see yourself in the upper room. You see yourself enthroned in heavenly places far above every power and principality. But it's not to your doing, it's to Jesus' doing. So, why did I say that? Because, my friend, it, it's the law comes in to break your will. To break your strength so that you will see Jesus and be solely reliant upon him. And like a wonderful school teacher, as a Christian, the more and more dogmatic you are and legalistic you are, the more you realize that you cannot do anything in yourself. You can't get yourself out of sin. You can't deliver yourself. You cannot heal yourself. You have no ability to even have faith in God. You have no ability in yourself. And not until we're fully persuaded of that, which the law comes in beautifully to humble us down to so that we will actually go from theoretical to understanding that in us dwells no good thing. And when that happens, then we become fully and completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. And then we begin to look to him. Our eyes move, move away from ourselves onto Jesus. Consider Jesus the author and finisher of faith. So then we move from a two turtle dove understanding to a lamb understanding to a bullock understanding and realize that the more you become spiritually rich how do you become spiritually rich what did i just say when you the more you see of jesus the more of his love for you the more you understand his sacrifice is how you become spiritually rich and third john says this beloved i wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health to the extent that your soul is prospering so the so when you become spiritually rich, it's not you just, you know, in the heavenlies, you become spiritually rich, though you're already blessed. It's a manifestation in your soul. And only when you see it and grasp it in your soul, the sacrifice of Jesus, does it manifest physically. So we're, if we're talking tangible manifestation here, we, when we see more and more of Jesus, when we see less and less of ourselves, and actually, when we see more and more how broken we are, and then we start to focus not on ourselves, but on Jesus, because we realize that the minute we focus on ourselves, there's nothing good about us. So then we focus on Jesus, and you become more spiritually rich. And the more spiritually rich you become in your soul, the more it manifests physically. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health to the level that your soul is prospering. So I want to leave you guys with that, that the law, the, the law's purpose, I'm talking about uh, in a Christian's life, we're not under the law, but we put ourselves under dogmatic law because we still think we have ability and strength within ourselves. So then the law comes in so that we can see the depravity of our nature. We can see that in us there was no good thing. The Lord may allow you to have some crazy dreams for you to see Dang, that's in my flesh. Where did that come from? So, and that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part. Because just like Gideon, the type is the minute that the jaw, the jar is broken, 
the light came forth. And when the light came forth, the Midianites were destroyed. So it's only when the breaking of the flesh, when the breaking of the will comes forth maturity. And that is to be led by the Spirit of God because the Lord will train you. The Lord will break your will because He will allow you to put yourself under the law because He will because He sees there's certain prideful errors within us that it is only when we realize that, dang, in us dwells no good thing. And He says, yes, but I still love you. And that is why I'm here to do everything on your behalf. And then you will really be grateful and your love becomes sincere for Jesus. Your importance becomes sincere for Jesus. And not only that, a lot of times I jump on here and I'm very passionate and I really rebuke and reprimand a lot of dogmatic doctrines of men. You become, you'll become just like that. The more that you see your depravity within your flesh, the more that you rely on Jesus, the more zealous you will become on giving all the glory to Jesus. And the more angry you will become righteous anger at those who deify men because you begin to see that in man is no good thing what is like what the what does sinfully spiritually bankrupt man have to offer to god nothing even as a christian in you dwells no good thing so you when you realize that when you realize that that is the reason for grace because far too many times we can be like, I can tell you, you know, we need to rest. We need to rest. We need to rest. We need to rest. But uh, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, why? Why, why, why do I need to rest? Why can I just, why do I have to let go? Why can I not just put my little two cents in it? Because, friend, in you, there was no good thing. And it's, it, it, I can't just jump on here and tell you that without you getting offended. Far too many times the Lord will allow you to put yourself under the law so that you will see that in you dwells no good thing. You will boast like Peter did. Lord, I will go with you into the end of the earth. And then you will deny him with profanity and cussing. And yet the Lord will still love you and appoint you as an apostle. That's his grace. But it's only when we realize that. It's only when the will is broken. It's only when our hip bone, like Jacob, is broken. Hip bone signifies what? Well, I always say it. What does hip bone signify? It signifies human strength. It is the strongest bone in the human anatomy. So when Jacob's hip bone was broken, that is a type of the human strength being broken. You see? So when your human strength, when your dignity, when you realize that there's no strength in you, then will you be pronounced a prince? That's what happened when Jacob was wrestling with God. He was strong until one little touch on his human, on his, uh, the, the strongest bone in human anatomy, he was broken. He fell down in agony, wailing and crying. And that is when the Lord pronounced him a prince. He prevailed when? When he was on the floor, weeping and crying in agony, understanding, I am weak. And we can say, you know, I'm, I'm weak, I'm weak. But Christianity is not surface. Christianity is not external. Everything is spiritual. And we can say in our head, I understand I'm weak, Anthony. But subconsciously, you rely on yourself. 
And I cannot teach you that. Only the Holy Spirit can teach you that. And the Lord will train you and teach you about these things. Because these things are spiritual. And He'll begin to show you. Because we all have different areas in our life. I can, I, I can say something about my life. And you can be like, well, I don't understand. But then in your life, it can be completely, completely different. But the Lord is in, even, in every one of us to teach us, to help us, to humble us down. And to make us see Jesus and our need for Him on a every waking moment basis so the law has the law its purpose is to expose sin its purpose is to multiply sin its purpose is to condemn to curse to bring death to bring wrath and that's any dogmatic demand you place upon yourself when you look to yourself when you try to justify yourself by the work of the law no Flesh shall be justified by the works of the law. It is evident because the just shall live by faith, the Bible says. So when we realize the law is not of faith, when we realize that any dogmatic rule is not of faith, when we realize that whatever we try to experience, touch, smell, see is not of faith, then we realize that the only way we will live by faith is to let go, is to let God, and to realize that Jesus is at the center of everything. It is Him. It is His Holy Spirit. It is His anointing. It is Him working uh, working in us, through us, and for us. We have no capability to do anything. So we just sit back and give Jesus all the glory and realize that it is His wonderful grace that God has saved and it's His amazing grace that will bring us home. And with that... I'll leave you there, and I'll see you in the next one. Hey guys, we want to thank you for tuning in. We pray that this quickened your heart. If you'd like to give a one-time or become a monthly partner, visit our website and hit that Give Now button up at the top. We thank you in advance and pray that you continue to receive everything God has already given you. By grace, through faith.